Be seated. And as you are, we're going to take a moment to pray to the Lord for his blessing on his word. It's about to be read and ministered to us on this Resurrection Sunday morning. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful that we can turn to you and ask for your help when it comes to understanding your word, receiving it in faith, uh, responding to it in faith, and not only in the praise of you, but in the lives you've called us to live and the hope that you've called us to have as we anticipate glories that await. May your spirit be at work then as your word is ministered and as we receive it. Uh, for the sake of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, amen. So we're going to turn this morning to 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 1 through 23, and then 35 to 49. Of course, it's uh, an abundance of information and benefit from 1 Corinthians 15 on the resurrection. And we're going to pick up some of that here this morning and consider some of the benefits of the resurrection. We start with the first verse of 1 Corinthians 15, we'll read a verse 23, and then we'll read 35 to 49 too. So we'll pick up there, 1 Corinthians 15, starting with verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But the grace of God, I am. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. 
For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And we'll go down to verse 35, where we read, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And when you sow, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and a glory, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ, for star differs from star in glory. So it is, the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus it is written. The first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So we thank the Lord for this portion of his word this morning. May it indeed be a blessing to us today. Brothers and sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Christian gospel is a God-glorifying gospel. And the good news that the Christian gospel brings comes from God, it could not happen without God, and happens solely because of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And because it's good news, the Christian gospel benefits those who receive it. I mean, anytime we have good news, we say, well, that's good news to hear. There's a benefit that we, we gain, and that's certainly true when it comes to the gospel. And one place where we see these benefits uh, very clearly is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, the raising of Christ from the dead, as the apostle says to us, is of first importance. And yet he mentions not just that Jesus was raised from the dead, uh, but that this happened on the third day. And we're going to address the significance, at least part of the significance, of the third day this morning as we're called through faith to receive and celebrate the glory, unto the glory of God the benefits 
of Christ's resurrection according to the scriptures on the third day. And so we looked this morning at the raising of Christ on the third day as of, of first importance according to the scriptures and then as a dawn, as the dawn of a new creation. So we start by looking and saying that the raising of Christ was of first importance. The suffering of Christ and the dying of Christ according to the scriptures for the sin of his people were also of first importance and necessary. But the apostle in our passage here this morning couples that with the necessity and the importance of Christ's resurrection. The apostle would go on to say that if Christ has not been raised, the proclamation of the gospel and even serving Christ in general would be for nothing. A service we heard Friday that's never worthless, regardless of how people respond to it. Uh, you put in the effort to serve Christ, that's never an empty thing. You never have to regret that. In fact, you ought not to, because that continues to be your calling. And that because of, ultimately, because of the resurrection and the reconciliation and redemption we have from the reigning and righteous and risen Christ. But this religion, as with all other religions, would carry with it the same kind of futility apart from the resurrection of Christ. You can't have good news. You can't have Christian gospel. You can't have God's gospel of good news unless Christ is raised. One of the reasons given for this importance, this essentiality in our passage, is that we'd still be in our sins, right? Without Christ raising. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. You read that a moment ago in the litany, and it's here in our passage. And in order for us to be forgiven of our sins, the reason why this is all so, and to be justified by Christ's atoning work on the cross, Jesus Christ has to be perfect. Right? He has to be the perfect Savior on that cross without spot of sin, as we heard from 1 Peter 1. And so for in, order, in order for him to rise, then his love and his obedience to God, even to death on a cross, would have had to be perfect. Only a perfect person can satisfy the standards of God and the wrath of God that would otherwise fall upon those for whom Christ has died, and for those who put their trust in him. However, if Christ stays in the grave forever, then that's a sign that Jesus wasn't perfect because the wages of sin is death. And if he's dead and he continues to be dead, then sin has its mastery over him. Staying in the grave would go to show that he wasn't the perfect Savior. And we needed him to be that. And therefore, we would still be in our sin. Our faith in him would be futile in Christ. And we'd be destined for eternal doom like the rest because we would have nobody who was able to take our place and take it perfectly as the perfect Passover lamb that Jesus Christ actually was. Being still in our sins would not only be a problem for those who are alive who believe in Jesus, but our passage says, but also for those who have died and fallen asleep in Jesus and who believed in Jesus. And they could no longer be seen as those who had fallen asleep in Jesus. That terminology wouldn't be appropriate. 
They wouldn't be at rest in the arms of Christ, the victorious one in heaven. They would have perished like the rest. And there would be no hope for us alive and no hope for those asleep in Jesus awaiting the resurrection of glory that does come to all those who are found in Christ. And so then that's why the apostle also, he concludes, look, preaching's in vain, believing's in vain, uh, hope is in vain, and living and loving in the Lord is empty. It's, it's useless, it's fruitless, it's worthless. Any labor in the Lord is in vain which he says at the end of our passage or in the end of our chapter, that that's not the case, that your labors in the Lord are not in vain. But otherwise you'd labor for a dead man. And while people may or may not respond to your labors in the Lord, you can't be consoled that regardless of how they respond to you, that your labors in Christ are fruitful, useful, worthwhile, Nonetheless, that wouldn't be so if, if Christ had not been raised. And Paul says that Christians would be the most miserable of all people if they, if they are the ones that had hope in Christ in this life only for believing in a still dead Christ. Of course, our passage speaks to that as well, doesn't it? That uh, then we would that would be a, a ridiculous thing for us too. Our, our faith is futile, we're still in our sins, and we, we are the most to be pitied, according to verse 19. I mean, why put up with persecution as a Christian in this life if this life is all there is? I mean, if our hope for eternity is vain, then we might as well do what we please right now. Let's eat and drink, because tomorrow we die. And that's it. Why put up with opposition? Why suffer for it? Why waste time on preaching and doing the right thing? Regardless of how people respond to it. Why worry about doing the right thing? It's all for nothing. It all leads to death. We can see why then the resurrection is, as the apostle says, is of first importance for the church to proclaim, and for people like you and me to believe, if it's true. Because without the resurrection message, there's no good news for anybody. And certainly not for believers in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. But then, says the Apostle, it's, it's also a resurrection on the third day according to the Scripture. Christ's resurrection is true because of its scriptural testimony. The scriptures are true, and therefore its testimony about the resurrection or the raising of Christ is true. On the road to Emmaus, Jesus had to teach those who were on the road with them about how slow they were to believe the scriptures, and he taught from there about the resurrection and crucifixion. Paul had reasoned in Acts chapter 17, verses 2 and 3, about the very same things. He taught from the scriptures about the resurrection and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Glory for the Christ would follow his suffering according to the scriptures. Psalm 2, Psalm 16, Psalm 22, Psalm 35, Psalm 68, Psalm 102, Psalm 110, Isaiah 53, 
verses 10 and 11. Just to name a few, speak to that. Daniel 7, verse 13 and 14 says that the Son of Man is given an everlasting dominion and a kingdom that would not fade away. Those are just a few passages that would touch on Christ's exaltation and therefore his resurrection. So Paul's point here is that the proclamation of the resurrection of Christ is in accordance with the Scripture, whose truth predicted that this event would come. And for us who live beyond the years of the apostles, we have more than the Old Testament testimony. We've got the New Testament testimony of which Paul speaks. He says we've got apostolic weight. He says we've got numeric weight. We're not only to the apostles, uh, but as many as 500 at one time saw the resurrected Christ. Again, that points out the fact that God does not act in a corner. He doesn't act secretively. People who want proof have it. The resurrection proclamation of Christian gospel is not fairy tale, fantasy land stuff of Mother Goose. It's not, it's not important to proclaim the resurrection and believe it for the benefits, if it's true, to say, well, I might as well uh, hang on to that, because who knows, maybe it is actually true, and if it's true, well, what's the harm of believing it? Why do you believe something that you don't know if it's true or not? We don't proclaim the gospel and we don't receive the gospel if it's true. We proclaim the gospel and we receive the gospel because it is true. It's based on grounded testimony that makes the belief of this gospel message about the resurrection and all of the importance of it it's not a leap of faith. That's something that the world has, has conjured up. You don't leap. It's not a leap of faith into the unknown. It's simply the right thing to believe. It's the necessary thing to believe. It's the beneficial thing to believe. And it's the fruitful thing to believe. You don't believe this, your life's empty. If this isn't of first importance to you, your life's empty. I don't care what it is that you do or what you think is cool or what it is that you, you think is the most important thing in your life. Your life's empty apart from this. If this isn't first of first importance, when somebody asks you what is the most important thing to you in your life, you should better say, it's the gospel of the resurrected and risen and reigning and redeeming Jesus Christ. Because nothing else matters but apart from that. It's unbelief that's empty, you see. I don't care what it is that you do. Your life's empty apart from that. It's not Christian faith in the resurrection and Saving Jesus Christ is an empty life. Christ came so that we might have life to the full. It's this raised Christ that has made our, our faith fruitful, our hope assured. And our love and labor in the Lord meaningful. And only that. Only when we can say in truth, but Christ has been raised. 
the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And it's that first fruited, raised Christ that allows us to say more about the truth that Jesus was raised in glory on the third day. Now, when Paul is speaking about Christ raised on the third day, the apostle is taking us back, as we see in our further reading in this chapter, to the creation order, doesn't he? And particularly in starting with the third day. We celebrate that the raised Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And we remember that the Feast of First Fruits was an Old Testament feast in Leviticus 23. You can read about it. Where the first sheaf of the harvest was given to God as a token that the entire harvest belonged to God. And that what was given was but the first of what was yet to come. From the yield and the harvest of the seed that had been planted in the ground. It shouldn't be considered coincidence then that Paul would be speaking about first fruits regarding Christ's raising when he has spoken already that Christ rose from the dead on the third day. Nor when we consider the language of seeds and plants and vegetation and kinds that he uses in that last portion that we read, which actually, as we'll see, you know, ends up speaking about not only day three, but four and five and six as well. When we think about Christ being raised, we, we think of the first day of the week as the dawn of a new creation, and that's a very legitimate thing to do. We're anticipating that new creation of heaven and earth on the first day of the week when Christ was raised. But we can also think about that new creation when we think about Christ being raised on the third day. Given the context in our passage, hearing of third day according to the Scriptures should turn our attention to the third day of creation. On that third day, according to Genesis 1, 1 through 11 through 13, this is what we read. And God said... Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which there is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. Remember hearing this? And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. We could say that the third day was the original first fruits, in which God was establishing his creation order. And life emerges from the earth according to their kind in the creation order. The fruit of the earth emerges for the first time according to their kind. It shouldn't surprise us then that Paul, who has spoken not only of Jesus being raised on the third day according to the Scripture, would also move in this first fruit 
new creation direction in our passage, because that's what he does. Christ is raised in honor as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep in him, those who have been planted, shall we say, in dishonor as seeds, but will be raised in glory because of the raised Christ, the first fruits of such glory. See, in our passage, besides what we mentioned about the third day, we have two kinds of first fruits, bad and good. In Adam, we all die. In Christ, we will all be made alive. Not all that were in Adam will be made alive gloriously. Only those in Christ by faith through grace. But both Adam and Christ are first fruits of sorts. Adam's the first to die, and all die in turn. But in Christ, we have the first to live in resurrection glory. Christ, the first fruits. And then, when he comes, those who belong to him. By a man came death, by a man came the resurrection of the dead. And so in Christ, there's a new, a better, a heavenly man. And the dawn of a new creation order is found in him. Good first fruits in Christ. But in responding to skeptics who cannot comprehend what kind of body will be resurrected, you notice what it says there in verse 35. Somebody's going to ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Now, in responding to these skeptics or who can't comprehend what kind of body will be resurrected, perhaps because they can only imagine bodies as being inferior and the, and the physical being inferior, Paul makes his argument here that the resurrected body is going to be a different kind of body from the sown body. That's going to be his argument. It's going to be a different kind of body from the sown body. The resurrected body in accordance with the first fruits of Christ who lived. The sown body in accordance with the first fruits of Adam who died. And what does he do? How does he, how does he make that argument about the differences that way? Well, he underscores those differences by turning to creation and really turning to the creation story, the creation event. And he shows, to the nth degree, the differences in kinds that are found in creation. He shows the difference between the sown seed and the plant, right? He says the seed has to die before the plant can come to life. That's one difference. Death to life. Another difference is the seed and the body. He says you don't plant the body that will be, do you? You plant the seed. There's a difference between the seed and the plant, even though the plant relates to the seed according to its kind, as determined by God. And then Paul keeps going. He says, there's all different kinds of bodies in creation, each according to its kinds. Men, animals, birds, fish, each according to its kinds. That's creation language, isn't it? 
And then he says again in creation language that there are different kinds of glory in creation of the heavenly variety and the earthly variety of sun and moon and stars. See, most days of creation are mentioned here from day three on. Day three, day four, day five, day six. Paul emphasizes different kinds, differences of kinds in creation. And in answering the question, what kind of body will the resurrection body be? It would be foolish to think, he says, based on the creation order and the new creation order, that the resurrection body will be altogether the same as the one that's sown. He said, that just doesn't follow. He says, not only is that not in creation, because there's all different kinds, it's also not so in the new creation. Because the new creation has as its first fruits, not that of Adam in whom all die, but of Christ in whom all are made alive. And so the raised body then is going to be in the likeness, he says, of the man from heaven. Not the likeness of the man from earth. He says it's going to be different. It's going to be sown according to the likeness of the man on earth. But it's not going to be raised like that. It's going to be a different kind. Well, that follows. There are different differences of kinds in creation. And there is most definitely a different kind in the new creation. And that difference, you see, of kind is Paul's point. He says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. As different as resurrection is from death. In Adam, the first fruits in whom all die, the body is sown perishable, in dishonor, in weakness, a natural body. That's the kind that is. But in Christ, it's a different kind. The first fruits of all those who fall asleep and in whom are all made alive, that sown body will be raised imperishable, in glory, in power, as a spiritual body that is empowered by the Spirit of Christ. There's this difference. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. And that is thanks to Christ. The first Adam is a natural being. He belongs to this age. He's susceptible to corruption. While the last Adam, and the last Adam that will ever be needed, is a being of the Spirit. And he belongs to the age of, uh, of, of the age to come. And he's incapable of corruption. The first man is from the dust of the earth. Again, creation language. And to dust he returns. While the second man is from heaven, raised in glory to God's right hand. What a difference. As was the earthly man, so were we all. But as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven, of grace. Certainly we, we bear the likeness of the earthly man in death. 
He's the first fruits that we follow that way. But when we are raised as new creatures, we'll bear the likeness of the man from heaven when we're in Christ. The first fruits of those who sleep. And he said, Paul's saying here, that glorious difference awaits those who fill the harvest of Christ. Raised from the dead on the third day. The first fruits of those who sleep. The dawn of a new creation from which we may benefit when our faith is in Him and when we say to ourselves, there isn't anything, anything more important to me than that. This is why proclaiming His raising on the third day and believing in this resurrected Christ, the Savior and King, needs to be of first importance to us. And if they aren't, the Apostle is telling us, then life is empty and vain. But if they are, then our faith in Christ, our hope in Christ, our labors in Christ, they will be nothing else but fruitful and worthwhile. And your life will be that way. Because while in Adam we all die, in Christ, First fruits raised on day three will be made alive. And isn't that beautiful? Beneficial. And isn't that good news to know? Amen. Let's take a moment to respond in prayer, shall we? Father, we are thankful that we could be reminded and assured or, or maybe taught for the first time that about the utter importance of not only the proclamation of Christ, but of receiving it, the benefit for our relationship with you, the worthwhile uh, and, and, and fruitful impact that it has on our lives so that we might live for our risen Savior and for the hope that it gives us uh, of everlasting life. Uh, in a, in a time that's coming that will be so different from uh, the death that is experienced and, and in the, the, the bad first fruits, we might say, that occurred through Adam. Thank, thanks be to God for the new creation that's coming, the new creation we can know in ourselves, the, the, the first fruits that have fallen, of those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they are found in Christ himself uh, so that we might have hope for eternity that impacts our life for today, and we can see life is really worth living because we know for whom we live, and we know how changed we are from being in our sins to being removed from that sinful state and that condemnation thanks to the, the righteousness and the resurrection and the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. So may we find ourselves taking joy in that today, that we could say that Christ has been raised. It's not a fairy tale. According to the scriptures, it's been testified. It has been seen. It's to be believed, embraced, and enjoyed.
May we find ourselves doing that in this day, that the gospel may truly be a benefit to us because Christ has been risen, has risen the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep in accordance with the scriptures on the third day. May you accept our prayers. May you hear us as we pray.